1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, A College Coach Conversation. Thrilled to have you all with us today. Quick little plug to please review us on Apple Podcast. I know there are a number of you who have been listening to the show for years. We would love for others to find it, and that's one way we can ensure that. Um, we are talking about middle school today, which might seem a little strange. This is a college coach getting into college Podcast. Why would we be talking about middle school? Well, middle school is in essence where we lay a lot of the groundwork for um, college, and well, certainly for high school. And then that, of course, leads to college and beyond. Um, so we just thought it'd be interesting today to do a show that's solely focused on those middle school years. Um, Everything from making the most of that time to raising financially wise middle schoolers. Um, (laughs) There is no time like the present than to get your kids sort of more acclimated to financial matters. And speaking of, my colleague and former Harvard and Boston University financial aid officer, Jan Combs, is here to discuss those very things with me. Hi, Jan. Hello, thanks for having me, Beth. Absolutely. So um, we're talking today about how we can, as parents, now, my I only have one and he's already well out of middle school, but um, personal finance is something that used to be taught in schools and isn't necessarily anymore. And so we thought it would be helpful to talk a little bit to parents about, you know, things that they could be teaching their kids about personal finance. So I guess that's my first question for you is how can parents um, do that?
2: Right. So, and and I think a lot does fall on our shoulders as parents. I I have a middle schooler as well as a bunch of older ones. Um, And I asked her, you know, are you doing anything in math class related to personal finance? And she's like, no. And then I asked her friend who's in a different school system. And she's like, no, we don't do that. So it really is important for parents um, to talk with kids about personal finance. And I think one of the first places to start is allowing our middle schoolers to make money and then manage that money and I think one of the best ways is to offer them an opportunity to earn an allowance and I do say earn um, and then as parents you decide you know what are the tasks and responsibilities that your student needs to take to earn that allowance. Are you going to pay them weekly, monthly, how are you paying cash, check, putting in the bank, however you decide as a family what works of course best for you but I think earning an allowance is a really great place to start. Um, If you're, you know, up to the family as far as what amount, I like an age-based allowance. um, And that maybe because I have multiple children. It always seemed to work well for me. You get X amount if you're X age, and that's the way it is. So for my 12-year-old, she gets you know, $12 a week if she does her chores that have been assigned in advance and she's well aware of. Um, And then certainly she'll get a raise next week. She turns 13 next week, so she'll get a raise up to 13. So I think that's the key, right, is allowing them the opportunity to earn. And then when when they earn is helping them manage that. And for me, what I've always found was really simple is to adhere to like a 30, 30, 30, 10 budget. And this is Perfect. Middle schoolers can understand this. Actually, younger kids can understand it as well. Adults can
1: understand it. (laughs)
2: Adults can understand it. High schoolers can, of course. And once they have that pot of money, well, it's not just going to sit in the bank or sit on their. What are they going to do with it? They need to make decisions. So, with that 30, 30, 30, 10, they can take, say, 30% for those immediate spending needs. You know, maybe she wants to go roller skating. She can use it for that. 30% for a short term goal. Is she saving for a new Xbox or a ski trip or whatever? 30% for long term maybe saving for college it's not too late or too early to do that and then 10% for maybe charity Um, or gifts, or school fundraisers, things like that. And parents can tweak it, you know, whatever works, based on their values and whatnot, but I feel like a budget like that helps your child make decisions, and set goals, and manage that money under your careful guidance. So that's what I've been doing, and it seems to be working so far so good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think one interesting thing there, of course, is, right, what is, what are your, what's your child going to be expected to pay for out of that money, right? Because, of course, $12 12 dollars in this day and age doesn't necessarily go all that far mm-hmm. um, I know that my son got an allowance up until the time when he had a when he had an actual job yes and you know there were certain things that I was happy to cover because I knew it would never he'd never be able to afford it out of his allowance but then sure. th- certain things I expected him to pay for and I think that's part of it right being clear about here's yes. what I'm gonna cover and here's what's you're responsible for
2: right understanding what the expectations are verbalizing those, being as clear as possible, of course, with kids. Um, and But just, just let them understand the concept of setting goals now, working towards something that they might want in the future. I think that's a super important, you know, exercise for right. really everyone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, part of this obviously requires a budget, right? So, if you are going to be If you're going to be divvying up your money in that 30 30 10 or whatever that is going to look like for you and your family it's probably going to require a budget if your daughter's going to use her 30 for immediate needs on skating Mm -hmm. she needs to understand how much does skating cost how long will she have to save up for in order to go right so how do you you know do you think budgeting is a good idea to introduce now is that something that is appropriate for middle schoolers
2: yeah, I definitely think it's appropriate for middle schoolers kind of in, in, in simple ways. Um, both mm-hmm. elementary kids and middle schoolers can understand in simple terms. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to approach budgeting. I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, middle schoolers need to have that spreadsheet and, and dig too right. deep, deep, whereby high school is yes, and college and adults, yes. But for middle schoolers, one of the things I've done at home is I found, with mine at least, is that they really had no idea what some of these major household bills cost. And so I would show them the cable bill, for example. Because they can relate to that. They like their movies, they like their TV, their internet, so they can relate to the cable bill because they need it. And I actually broke it down for my daughter recently saying, you know, it's $200 roughly. And, you know, at X amount of allowance, um, I think I used the example of a 14 year old at the time, so $14 Mm -hmm. per week, essentially, it would take 14 weeks of allowance to cover that one cable bill. And that was eye opening when I gave that example. When I said it was 200, it was like, yeah, okay. When I said right. 14 weeks of doing chores equals covering one month, then it was like, whoa. One
1: month. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Which means, exactly. You know. You, how would you afford it if you don't have a job that pays you a little bit more than exactly. what the 14-year-old was making?
2: Exactly. And yeah. knowing that you need to save to cover those bills. So that was quite eye-opening. Um, so I think just breaking down a, a cost or an expense that kids can relate to is a really good way of showing them the value of money and how their work relates to paying those bills.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it goes a long way to understanding not just the cable bill, but then maybe extrapolating out to, ooh, how much money are we spending on food every month? Uh And, you know, I don't know about you, and this may be different for your daughter versus for your sons, but I know that my son (laughs) spent a lot of his allowance on fast food. And it really adds up the amount of, you know, like it seems like it's not super expensive, but if you're going to McDonald's, on a semi-regular basis Mm -hmm. and almost daily basis, that's going to really eat into whatever money you have available, right? Yep.
2: My boys are big into that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Her words about lip gloss. but (laughs) There you go, right? But lip gloss is cheaper. I have to say, maybe one of the few places where girls can be cheaper. Not that girls don't like fast food. I just know it was like a major budget expenditure yes. in my house, and I think continues to be um, yep I even not, re- yep
2: <laughs> I even remind my adult sons who are grown and flown and on their own and working and making lots of money how eating out can impact household budget so I think at every age it's something it's a valid conversation
1: right one thing that I used to do, I, so I love to, I like to shop in any real form you can think of. Like, I like to shop for clothes. I like to shop for presents. I like to shop for food a lot, actually. I'm a, yeah. So when I was in middle school, I, um, my mom would come up with a list of what mm-hmm. she from the grocery store yeah. and then we would go, but I would have a budget so I yeah. could buy things, So long as it was in the budget, I could choose something that I wanted to buy. And then actually when I got to be in high school, I I wouldn't say it was my job to do that, but I would regularly be the one who went grocery shopping because I liked doing it and I just always had a a budget that I had to hit. So I kind of got pretty good at like... I didn't have a phone at the time and I didn't bring Mm -hmm. a calculator along. I just sort of in my head would kind of keep a running tally. And it certainly told me, wow, like this is not inexpensive, this buying food for a family of four on a weekly basis. And I got an early introduction to that in middle school.
2: That's awesome and I do think there's a lot of value in whether it's food shopping or back to school shopping or planning for a birthday party or whatever it is, um, having a parent give their middle schooler a budget. Um, I did that and this is also when you can incorporate those needs versus wants conversations, which I think are so very important for personal finance in general, is understanding the difference between what's a need, what's a want Mm -hmm. Um, and so same thing goes with school shopping, for example. would just love to go to Target and take the cart around and fill it up and not think about anything Mm -hmm. but I go in with her give her a budget and say this is what you have and don't forget um, you know it's not just about you know three or four pairs of holy jeans right right Um, but you need to you know what do you need you also need socks and you also need shoes you need to incorporate everything that a real want excuse me real needs um, along with all of your wants so whether it's grocery shopping back to school shopping um, next week's her birthday so she's going to have a party and so she's going to go and she's going to have a budget and decide what she wants for goodie bags right and she yeah. has to decide it's not endless um so same yeah same concept beth i love it uh, it's real life stuff where they can learn and they're using their your their mind right using math and all that but really kind of making key decisions about what they need um and versus what they want and making sure it works in the budget
1: yeah. yeah, and, I, and I, I mean, I love the needs versus wants. And I also think sometimes you can show how money can be a convenience and how sometimes it's time versus money and which is more valuable to you. And so an example that I would also share that you could do with middle schoolers is school lunch, right? Yeah. So school lunch is typically more expensive than what you might do if you bought all the groceries and then made your lunch every yeah. day. And so you can have the choice of, do you want to buy school lunch? Um, or do you want to bring your lunch from home? And you might even say, this is how much it costs for school lunch every week and I'll give you that money and you can use it to buy groceries and make your lunch, and then whatever is left over you can have you can as keep, pocket money, right? right? You yeah. keep it. Or if you just don't want to be bothered by making your lunch every day, then that's fine. You can buy it at school. Either way, as a parent, it's not falling on your shoulders to make right. a lunch, right. and it's also teaching. I like that, right? I, I like that too. Man, did I. I was so over making lunches by the yeah. time my son graduated from <laughs> elementary school. Not my. I like to cook. But man, that daily grind of putting together yeah. something he would eat, i not my favorite. Yeah, thing.
2: making lunch is so different than cooking. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's a great example.
1: Exactly. So um, other things that I wanted to, um, you know, I think we've just shown how it doesn't have to be, teaching personal finance doesn't have to be super structured. You sit down at the table and you talk about this, right? It can be peppered into your life every day. Um, yeah. I'm curious about... You know, kids are online so much. Is there any online component to help teaching your kids about personal finance, given how much time they spend there?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of really neat apps and Mm -hmm. websites that can teach personal finance. Absolutely. Um, Certainly. um, Also, don't forget board games, right? Um, You talked about unstructured, and I love that because Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be structured. And I find that when I sit my kids down to have something, it's like, oh, the eye rolling. What's mom (laughs) doing now, right? But you're playing a board game. It's fun. It's family fun. You're bonding, um, playing Monopoly, playing Life playing um, payday or the stock exchange game, whatever it is. I remember playing life with my middle schooler uh, a few years ago and she was like, What's insurance? You know, and, <laughs> and what's a mortgage? And like we had some really great conversations, but it wasn't like I was talking at her. We mm-hmm. were just having great conversations while we were having fun moving the pieces around the board. So I think, I actually think unstructured is much better, whether it's through a board game, through watch, just, um, you know, a road trip, doing shopping trips, whatever it is, or using some of the apps um, mm-hmm. and websites that are available to you. I think unstructured is great, and I think it's a great way to um, get. get Get, get lessons across
1: yeah, in a it casual needs, like, way. Two favorite apps that you would recommend to parents out there right now.
2: So one of my colleagues uses S'mores Up. Um, she recommends that it. She, she basically manages her kids' allowances and can track that they've done everything they needed to do. Ooh. And then she can remind herself that she's paid them. And then she allows them to pick, you know, of the $10, how much is going into the immediate spending, how much is going into this goal, how much is going to charity. So, Samora's Up was highly recommended by her. She has two boys and she's using that. Um, another friend of mine has four children and she uses Greenlight. Um, And very similar, she manages, you know, four kids allowances, all different amounts because she uses the age-based option. And then she, Mm -hmm. um, at that family, um, charity and giving is very important to them. So they have a higher percent that goes into that category. So she manages that. So Greenlight's another one. I'll say if anyone's interested in um, phone apps to help with any of these personal finance things, Forbes and Kiplinger, usually at the end of each year, will do an analysis of of all the different apps that are available and they'll have a nice long running list of apps, their purpose, and they rate them, they give you a good description. So those are good resources for families as well.
1: I love it. Jan, thank you so much. A wealth of knowledge but the current <laughs> middle schooler in your home. doesn't surprise me. So um, appreciate you taking the time today. Of
2: course. Thank you, Beth. Have a great day.
1: Absolutely. You too. All right. Thank we you. are going to take a quick break and then we're talking more middle school, this time more around making the most of that time academically, socially. um, So don't go away.
0: To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Um, We're talking all things middle school today because middle school is a foundation for high school, which in turn is the foundation for college So that's how we roll today. Um, I'm excited to have two people who have either had a middle schooler in their home recently or currently have a middle schooler in their home. They also happen to be colleagues of mine and former uh, admissions officers, Kimberly Aselta, formerly of Babson and Holy Cross, and Mary Sue Yoon, formerly of Barnard College and Whittier Colleges. Welcome ladies, how are you? Good, thank you Beth. Absolutely. Thanks for joining today. So, middle school, it's it, as I, I kind of acknowledge at the beginning of the show that it feels a little odd to be in the context of a, of a podcast about getting into college talking about middle school. But um, I do think that this is where, in many cases, I mean, it really is, right? The groundwork for high school is laid in middle school. I, I, I was thinking earlier today when I was thinking about doing this segment about how when my own son went somehow like he got all the way through elementary school and it was still just this kind of like fun thing he was doing I I don't know it just didn't seem like super it's not that it didn't seem important but it didn't seem really serious it didn't seem very connected to the work that I was doing every day and now then when he went to middle school I thought oh all of a sudden we got into like the more important part of of school Like, when did that happen? And so I suspect that many parents may feel similarly that, um, you know, if they hadn't been thinking about it all that much or that worried about it, when middle school hits, that tends to kind of ratchet things up a little bit. So um, I thought we could start by talking about academics and, um, you know, Kimberly, from your perspective, what are some of the most important things that you're asking students or parents should be keeping an eye on academically in middle school?
3: So I think a couple things. Number one, that they're exploring all different areas of academics. I mean, I think the curriculum is pretty much set up to allow them to do that anyway, but letting them explore and see what they enjoy and get engaged in class. Um, What I noticed with one of my people who live in my home <laughs> when they <laughs> were in middle school, all of a sudden, homework became an important part of the grade. And that was something that, even at given what I've been doing for the last 20 years, I realized I hadn't really had that conversation with him about it's performing in class and it's getting ready for quizzes and exams and doing projects, but how important homework was. So I think and as we think about academics and they start to actually get real grades and there might be quarters or semesters that happen all of a sudden seem to matter in middle school, homework became a really big thing in my house as we thought about academics and the importance that it played in grades. Mm
1: -hmm. So that was something
3: that was I think a surprise for my students, I think can sometimes be a surprise for parents. And all of a sudden that changed. No longer were the little folders of stickers and smiley faces coming home from middle school, but now these were real grades that felt like they meant something. And I know we'll talk a little bit about that today too. you know, all of a sudden grades and academics seem to feel more important. Personally, to answer your question, I think it's really important for them to explore. But homework impacts those grades. And I think we're going to talk a little bit, too, about what those grades can then mean for the future in ninth grade.
1: Right. Right. Well, speaking of that, Mary Sue, um, one of the things that came up when we were planning for this was, um, there are a couple of areas of academics in which you're going to be on a track. So maybe you could talk to us a little bit about those two areas. Right. Absolutely. So I think in, you know, generally
4: in most middle schools, there's going to be sort of those core courses, English and history and math and science, and sometimes world language. Um, and those will start in the middle school year. I mean, the students been doing them since elementary school, But they'll sort of start as distinct classes in the middle school years, and some of that tracking starts. Um, The real differentiation in the tracking, though, I think happens most in math classes and sometimes Mm -hmm. world language classes in a way that can impact what classes they may be able to take in high school. So uh, there's going to be a standard track, which most students go through and, and then are well prepared to go on to high school. But if your student is, for example, more advanced in math, they may be offered an opportunity to take a higher level math class that might bump them up a level in math um, for their high school math sequence. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the things as I talk to families who are making that transition from middle school to high school that they don't realize is that the actual math sequence for high school starts with middle school preparation. Um, And that's sort of the, the typical student uh, might be taking something like Algebra 1 in the 8th grade, uh, and then Geometry in the ninth grade, Algebra 2 in the 10th grade, Pre-Calculus in 11th, and then Calculus in 12th grade. That's sort of a typical honors student kind of track. More advanced. Right, yeah, yeah, honors student. Um, Mm -hmm. If you have a student who's maybe struggling with math, maybe they don't take that Algebra 1 class until ninth grade. And that's okay, but it might mean that they don't get quite as far in the math sequence, so they might end with pre-calculus in 12th grade. Um, And if you have a student, and this is a really small percentage of students, I always want to stress that, but a really small percentage of math whizzes might get even more advanced than that, where they take their geometry class uh, in the eighth grade, and then are moving on to algebra two, and the the full sequence um, in high school. So uh, it's a good idea to kind of look at what your your middle school tracking is and how that relates to the high school tracking. And um, if math is is something that you know you want to know more about, um, the other one that can sometimes be impacted by middle school choices is the world language sequence. Mm-hmm. And so, a, a student can take a world language in. Not every middle school offers the same world languages or or offers them for as many years. Um, but if a student takes a world language uh, in, say, the 7th and 8th grade or 6th, 7th and 8th grade and then wants to continue in that world language in high school, uh, they might be able to start at a more advanced level in high school. Others might move to a different uh, mm-hmm. language. My uh, older daughter, who is now in college, she was in Spanish in middle school, and then when she got to high school, there's an opportunity to take Latin, so she took Latin when she uh, went to the high school. And so there was a switch for her, um, but she started then at Latin 1 in ninth grade as opposed to continuing on in Spanish at a higher level. Um, my younger right. daughter started Spanish in middle school, continued in Spanish now in in high school. So she started her Spanish practice in high school at a higher level and uh, will right. reach a higher level
1: eventually. All right. what's interesting to me about that piece with world languages is again, if, you know, and this is, We do encourage students to stick with the world language for all four years of high school. Not every student is going to. Um, Latin is typically something that doesn't start before. Sometimes it does, but it's much less Mm -hmm. common, right, for Latin to happen in middle school. And therefore, Latin, there is an AP level Latin, and usually you can reach that after in your fourth year. Whereas in Mm -hmm. Spanish and French, that AP level typically comes in the fifth year. So in order to achieve the AP level, you have to have started it in, in middle school. So, there are a lot of different considerations. Um, again, you might have a student that is never going to hit that AP level. Totally fine. You may have a student that is going to look to max that out because they love the world language and just understand that when you make a switch from middle school, if it's a if it's a language that's been offered to other middle schoolers, they're going to start a little bit behind the students who are in that class in mid or in that language in middle school. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Kimberly, earlier you mentioned uh, that we're going to get back to this, this concept of like the real grades, but you know, there is, um, and you were going to add on to that. So now is probably a good yeah. time for that. Let's go back to the whole concept of grades and how meaningful and not those can be at this age.
3: I, I think of middle school as the dress rehearsal for high yeah. school, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's okay if things aren't perfect, if things are less than perfect, if things maybe aren't going well in one of their classes or a couple of their classes. We had to have a conversation in our house about understanding percentages and that homework is a is 20% of your grade and a zero can have a really big impact yeah. versus a 40 or a 50 even, right? Yeah. So yeah. really helping them to understand that and, and what I think most of us and most parents struggle with is really providing that balance. We want them to do well. We want them to learn. We want them to engage, but also this pressure of getting straight A's in middle school, that would be great. And it would be particularly nice in math, right? So that we can make sure Mm -hmm. that maybe if we have those stronger math students, that they're going to be recommended for those higher level or honors courses. But at the end of the day, high school or middle school is about learning, to engage in the classroom, learning to manage your homework, learning what classes you like, or if you have the skills or the strengths in, and the grades are less important if we think about our jobs on the college admission side, right? Right. So really very much the dress rehearsal to have everything laid in place so that they can hit ninth grade running. That's...
1: Right, And, and I'm gonna, the subtext that I'm getting from this is, you can let your kid fail at this stage. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And Mary Sue, I don't know if you have anything to add on that yeah. piece of it. Yeah. Uh, I have some friends who are, are middle school
4: teachers, um, bless them, and, uh, because I think it's like a hard age to deal with on a daily basis. Yes. Um, and you know, what they always tell me is that you, this is a time to, to let those natural consequences come into play and ha- have the student make that step towards independence, have them have some accountability. So if they don't turn in mm-hmm. that homework, they might get that zero and that might impact their grade overall. And and that's okay. I think learning that lesson in seventh grade, eighth grade is much better than learning that lesson in eleventh grade or twelfth grade from a college admission standpoint, yes. you know, learning um how to study, learning sometimes how to push the boundaries and sometimes fail in pushing those boundaries. Uh, I think these are good lessons to try and impress uh, upon your student when when they are in middle school. Because ultimately, as Kimberly mentioned, those grades aren't really carrying forward with them into their high school uh, right. transcript. It's not carrying through into their admissions decision for the most part. So, um, you know, that's I think it's a good time to try out some things, even if those things don't succeed. It's good to learn those
1: lessons when there's less risk. Right. I'm going to throw a curveball because we did not talk about this, but can we talk about (laughs) power school? Have you guys had, do you guys have power school in your your, um, districts? Something similar. Okay. And okay. So for the listeners who are like, what's power school? A, yay, yay, yay. You have no idea what I'm talking about. And that's good for you because I would say that power school is the devil. Personally, it was (laughs) such a terrible thing for me. And I think Jack, if he were here, would say, yes, I hated power school. Um, but it basically is this way in which parents can um, go online and see exactly what the student is doing and what grades they're getting on their homework, what grades they've gotten on the mm-hmm. most recent tests. And while it's a nice snapshot into what's happening you really have no idea how updated it is. Um, some teachers are much better about keeping it updated than others are. And it was the source of an incredible amount of Ajita in my <laughs> house for me and then in return for my child. Um, uh-huh. And so I, there were definitely, Jack was one of those students. Sorry, Jack, I'm diming you out here, but he needed to fail a little bit in middle school. Um and I made a deal with him. Power School was such a devil for us that I actually made a deal for, with him when he went on to high school that I was not going to get into Power School. I was not going to log in or have access to it, provided that everything was going well. You know, like as we had agreed to, we talked about expectations, do, doing homework, doing this, doing that. And if he uh, held up his eye under the bargain, I would stay off of Power School. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed middle school to learn that. I did stay off power, it all ended up fine. We did have a rocky ninth grade, but ultimately it all, so I learned two things. One is like, I can't do it for him. I've already gone to college. I've already gone to high school. I've already gone to middle school. I don't need to do this work as a parent, hello. But also there are some tools that are available to you that you might wanna use sparingly. And I don't know if either of you have anything to add about those.
3: Yeah. We made the same deal with my ninth <laughs> year that you made. Okay. I said, you're in ninth grade. I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking at this power school anymore. And it caused, especially with my oldest a lot of fights when he was in seventh mm-hmm. grade and eighth grade because, yes. as you said, you go in at the end of a school day and you you have an F in math. Why do you have an F in math? And it's just because the one test that is a hundred percent of the grade right now hasn't been te- hasn't been graded. Um, right, but it did help us. Is he was someone with the homework um, issues mm-hmm. that you could go back and say you ha- you're missing a homework assignment from three weeks ago. And we really had a lot of conversations with him about being a self advocate. And he would say, "Well, it was three weeks ago, and I don't know what it was." And I, I would say, "Right here, it's Unit Two, Page Three Six. You need to I'd write it down on a sticky note, and I'd say, go talk to the teacher about this." And in some mm-hmm. some cases, the teachers would say, "You are, we'll allow you to get half credit for doing it." Mm-hmm. Other times, they would say no. But there was a lot of lessons thanks to that program, that we were able to say, you need to email the teacher, you need to go to the teacher and get that grade up or figure out what's going on there. But that daily checking, my sev- my, my current seventh grader wants me to check every day and we can't be doing that because that's... <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is- I love that he wants you to. Was he not paying attention to what happened? He
3: listened to what was going on with his brother and he sort of feels like he's got it all. And he's checked.
1: got it. I love it. Mary Sue, how about you? Any experiences? Yeah. Yeah, I think you know. It's sometimes
4: it's called Genesis or Skyward. So there's other programs other than Empower School, but um, I think the the important part that Kimberly just said there is that's an a time to empower your student to go talk to the teacher rather than you as a par- parent stepping in and talking to the teacher. Um, yeah. and because that's a great growth moment in middle school for them to do that.
1: Yes, I think that's a really good point. All right, we are going to take a very quick break, and when we come back. We should have more to talk about when it comes to our middle schoolers, so don't go away.
3: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: College admissions can be stressful. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back,
1: everybody. I'm here with Kimberly and Mary Sue, and we are talking about middle school. Um, Mary Sue, before the break, we were talking about the importance of self-advocating, which I do think is um, super important, and using tools that we have somewhat sparingly, Um, but using them. Just, you know, don't make yourself crazy. Don't make your kid's life too crazy. Um, What we haven't touched on, we've talked about the academic side of things, Um, activities. What are your thoughts about middle school students and activities outside of the classroom? I think that the activities
4: can be so important. They can be a way for a student sometimes a student who struggles in the classroom really shines on their extracurricular activities. And so it can be a space for them to gain confidence. And um, as we all might remember from those teen and tween years, like there's a little knocks to self-confidence in that time frame. And so, you know, sometimes a student who struggles in one area can really show off their talents in another area. Um, I think it also, from the admissions perspective can set a student up for some success in high school that, If they start to get involved in activities and start to think of that in kind of the normal course of their day, it's going to be activities in middle school are going to be perhaps at a a bigger and wider level than perhaps they were in elementary school. There might be in school activities at the after school clubs that are run. there might still be community or religious or cultural activities that the student is involved in. There might be arts. There might be sports. You know, there's lots and lots of things that a student can get involved in. Um, I uh definitely push back on any student or family who says, There's nothing for my kid to do or they're not interested in anything and I think you haven't cast your net wide enough. And and really to me that's what middle school activities are all about. Try lots of things, you know? Maybe it's trying some arts classes, some sports classes, some after school clubs, some service, some stuff in the community try a few different things with the goal that by the time you're getting into those ninth and 10th grade years, you're maybe settling into the things that you love in, uh, in preparation for kind of deepening them in the later high school year. Right. And so, you know, my, my daughters were both involved in middle school. Um, and one, you know, had a really significant activity that she had done from elementary school and middle school and decided to kind of let it go, uh, at the end of eighth grade. And uh, my first panic was like, wait, you've just invested five years doing yes. this um, And, but, you know, my, my college counselor hat came on and I said, before you let that go, you have to have a plan of like what you are gonna do instead. And for her, it was absolutely true. know we were a few years past that. Um, absolutely the right call. She's involved in, you know, five different things in that space that one activity took and she's kind of diversified what she wanted to do. Um, It was the right call for her. Other students are going to kind of stick with the thing that they've always done. Um, But I think trying out things allows them to find where their strengths lie, where their talents lie, and perhaps leads a pathway forward towards making some friends and having a good adjustment to high school, too. Yeah. like If you're like, I'm going to join this club or join this sports team when I get to high school, um, that might be your automatic, like, group that you join and that you find affinity with.
3: Right.
1: Absolutely. Kimberly, some anything you'd add? Do, yeah.
3: yeah, I was going to say some students kind of do the opposite, Mary Stu, of what your daughter did, where she was spending a lot of time with one activity in middle school and then decided to switch and had all of this time now to really explore different options. Mm-hmm. Some students are doing everything in middle school because it doesn't take up that much time. It's seasons, right? We've got the baseball season or, you know, I'm ta- I'm doing piano lessons once a week or I'm in a play, but that's going to be for a certain amount of time. Sometimes when we get to high school, we can't be doing all of that, right? Then the high school sports or play or music or marching band or whatever it might be is taking up. Or every day after school. So we need to be able to choose. So sometimes too, being able to explore all your different options at the middle school level will help you then say, and now I know, here's where I really want to focus once I get to high school mm-hmm. too. So I think there, right. there can right. be both sides of that.
1: Yep. And so my question, Kimberly, so I, I knew Mary Sue's story where she decided to abandon the things she'd been doing. And I feel your panic cause I would have done the same. Jack didn't really have anything that he had tied into too deeply by middle school, but your your son is doing the same thing that he's been doing for a long time, correct? Still correct. loves it.
3: Yes, yes. Yeah. So I have a son who did every single sport you can imagine from elementary and middle school and then got to high school. And really two things were at play. A high school that draws from not just our town, but several towns. So the competition for teams was already much harder. Mm-hmm. But he had also made a decision that he really wanted to focus in on one particular sport. So right. th- that decision was hard because he really enjoyed all of all of them. And ev- you know every season when we were in, it was his favorite, but had to really think about how he could manage his time. And that's another thing too with activities and having them learn how to manage their time and their homework and get that, again, set before they get to high school. But sometimes you have to make some hard decisions once you get to high school because often you can't do everything that you right. that you had been doing
1: Absolutely. Very true. Um, The other thing with middle school, uh, we talked earlier about people who are teachers in middle school and like, wow, that's impressive. My father actually taught middle school for 35 plus years, middle school English and and writing. So go dad, although he brought home a terrible like, so I'm thinking about my summers, you know, you're it's summer, you're middle school, if you're not really involved in activities, there are other things that you can do with your kids, um, especially if you're working. I remember, God help me. Every day of the summer, I had to find like a drawer or a closet in the house to clean out and reorganize. Um, yeah, exactly. I couldn't have been one a day because our house wasn't that big, but in my head, it was one a day. Maybe it was one a week. I don't know. Man, it was terrible. But if you are looking to encourage your student to get involved in things and they're telling you, I don't want to do anything, well, then get them involved in things you need done around the house. And you might be surprised at how quickly they find something to do. in school so I always was involved in school it's just I never had anything to do with myself during the summer so um but I love this um I love the idea of again I think the common theme we have here is it's time Mm. to explore it's time to grow up a little bit be more of a self-advocate it's time to take a little more responsibility and if failure comes with that then learning how not to fail but letting your students do those things um Mary, so before we ha- we started the segment today, um, you had mentioned that there's a real hot issue amongst your friends with middle schoolers right now. And I'm guessing, Kimberly, this is no different from you, for you. And this is COVID learning, learning loss and social skills loss. And I'm wondering if you both have thoughts on how to combat this as a parent or how to support your student as they're trying to figure this piece out. Yeah. Who wants to go? I Mary mean, so you want to go first? Sure. I, I, it's a hard question because obviously we've never been through this before. And so, yeah.
4: um, you know, we don't know how to, to uh, kind of normalize it out. But I think when you talk to uh, education experts uh, that are in schools and they do talk about how, you know, having a couple of years or depending on where you live and what your schooling situation was, might have been a, a few months, it might have been a year, it might have been multiple years of kind of remote learning um, and more virtual than in-person experiences can have a, a bit of an impact on sort of the way that um, that information was received and, and retained. Uh, I think the good news is from that teachers are absolutely talking and, and recognizing this. And I have seen plans in place from a lot of teachers to, okay, how do we, you know, if if we'd like students to be in one spot and they're really not quite in that spot yet, how do we step forward the curriculum that kind of gets them back on course from an uh, academic standpoint? Because you can't always just say, okay, we're gonna jump everybody three steps up when everybody's not ready for that. And so I think there is a recognition of that and sort of steps being made in a lot of educational environments to sort of uh, bridge where the students are and where they need to be um, over time. And I think it is gonna take some time um, months, maybe a year or so to be able to do that. But I think, you know, we, we the, the families listening are not necessarily going to be professional teachers. And so they may not know how to bridge those things academically, but the thing that you might have a little bit more impact is sort of those social skills and that movement towards independence. And I think um, for students who, again, might've been in kind of a small social environment for a little bit of time, it's encouraging, you know, when it, when available, when safe to do so, them to go out and be a little bit more independent, you know, uh, pick up the food from, walk, you know, from the pizza place, or, or uh, I used to joke, one of my friends, her daughter was painfully shy, and she didn't even want to order in a restaurant, um, you know, from the waiter or waitress, and I was like, okay, well, that's that's something you need to like start get getting her to up in those situations, or um, for students, you know, who may be shyer and not as used to social interactions, starting to arrange some of those activities that are group activities, and maybe it is they're going to a group art class or they're going to um, something that allows them to start to interact with other students of their age, and frankly, it's sometimes also the parents kind of taking a step back, which is hard. Um, to say like okay they're gonna get this and if I let them um take these steps forward and me take a few steps back it's gonna ultimately help them develop the skills that they need to learn and thrive and hopefully become an independent adult essentially so yes um yeah so I think it's it's all of those things but you know it's encouraging that idea of like if they can do it themselves let them do it themselves, even if it takes a little bit longer for them to do it, than it would have taken you to do it, or you know, start uh, encouraging that independence and advocacy on their own part.
3: Kind of like what we were talking about in the classroom, just in life. So always interesting to watch middle schoolers plan an event Right. And then you're like, okay, how are you getting there? What time is it? Does the mother know at the house that you're all going to, right? But again, still allowing them to do it and then asking all the right questions and having them follow up and be advocates for themselves.
1: Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I I think even small things that you can do with middle schoolers now is they their own alarm and wake th- and get themselves up in the morning. And I know there are many parents who would say, well, if I don't do it, they won't get up. Well, actually they will. You, if you keep doing it for them, they won't. But if you make it, you know, um, laundry, there is no time like the present for your children to do their own laundry than rather for you to do it. Making their own lunch, actually. Jan and I were just talking about this. It's a way to balance budgets and like, oh, I'll give you this amount of money. You can either spend it on school lunch or you can, I'll buy you whatever groceries you want and you can make your lunch and you can keep what is left over. These are all things we can do to encourage independence. Um, Mm -hmm. We have a couple of minutes left. One big thing that... um, that will happen for many middle schoolers, or for some at least, right? Some are going to go right from their middle school to the local high school, and that's not even going to be a question. But some are going to have some options and will be choosing. And so, Kimberly, any insights? I know that your son did that and, and made a different choice. So any quick thoughts on that? Right. I would say um, no
3: allowing them to look at options, if that is something that is part of your process and you're able to do that, Mm -hmm. Um, having them set some priorities about what they might be looking for, but then also what you as parents are looking for. Um, And I think sometimes families are really, really focused solely on one thing, whether it's athletics or it's a certain activity that a school is offering or it's academics. We know on the college side, are they going to get into college? Right, we know right, that. But right. um, it, it truly is very similar to what we talk about when we think about colleges—that the full experience. So, how are these four years going to help your child? Your you're very young adults, right? Grow into that Mm -hmm. adult that you're going to send out into the world. That was a really big conversation for us. So yes, you're there to learn. Yes, we want to make sure the academics are going to be appropriate for you as a student, but also what are all of the other pieces of this high school experience that are important to us as a family and that are going to make sure that we feel you're a confident, self-sufficient, mature young adults going out into the world. So thinking of all of those things, not just one school for the name or for their list of college matriculations, but really thinking about where your student can go and grow and learn, because these are some pretty important years
1: ahead for them. Right. And if they are comfortable and confident, then the likelihood is that's where they're gonna do best. And if where you do best is going to lead to more options when it comes to college, so. Thank you both so much for joining today. This is fun to do uh, segments with a couple of people rather than just me talking to one other person. So I appreciate it. Great. Thank you. you. All right. Well, all right. Next week, Sally is going to be hosting and we're talking about essays, both whether it's too early to be working on essays and also on essays that are digging into some kind of trauma. What does that look like? Is that a good idea? Um, As you might imagine, there's some nuance. Um, We're also going to be talking about how to pay for college. Is it too soon to be thinking about that? I think we all know the answer is, of course it's not. Um, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. The more we get, the easier it is for others to find us. Um, if you have questions for us, send them to us on Facebook. Um, we're on Instagram at collegecoachbh. You could also email them to us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And don't forget, we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific.